Yo, puches. What up, what up? We're uh, back on Zoom, but now we're across the planet again, are we? Yeah, how's California? Honestly, not too bad. I've been on, I've lost count of how many walks I've been to, and then I've scheduled so many baseball games. So I'm just, I'm just glad to be, um, you know, have, <laughs> I'm just glad to have my window open without inhaling copious amounts of dust. Uh, yes. And I'm baking at 125 degrees and other news, <laughs> but how's, uh, yeah. How, how's everything been on uh, your end? Uh, you know, not bad. I've, uh, I've been obsessed with this uh, new game recently. Oh, what's it called? It's called Stray. Oh, is that the one with, where you play as a cat? Yes, you are a cat. Interesting. Okay. What, so do, you, what do you think of My it? wildest fantasies have now come true. <laughs> I'm a cat. Right. And, nice. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's really fun. What I love about it is that there's a dedicated meow button. So you press O and you just meow. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, it serves certain purposes in the game. But you yeah. can just like randomly walk and meow. And uh, I think it's very interesting. Like I, I, I saw somewhere online that there was basically a voice actor cat who was recorded for the, uh, <laughs> for, 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 I think it's one of the developers cats or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the like little things they do, like, you know, you can kind of sneak up in places and fall asleep sometimes and, and scratch things. And like, you could be That's a cute. cat. I love that. It's fun. And I heard it's very um... well animated, very cat-like. Yeah, well, one thing I heard about that game is like you, um, it's been like the map's been so well designed for like the nap spots and everything, but there's also like places where you could just stop playing with the actual mission, just be a cat. So like you could knock yes. basketballs over and you could knock vases over and stuff. Oh, I've knocked everything over. I've just gone everywhere <laughs> I can knock anything over and just knocked it over just because I can. <laughs> I love that. What, how's, um, do, do you think they're ever going to come out with an Oculus version just so you can actually be a cat? Oh, I hope so. Can you imagine, like, you know, lift the controller up to head level to lick your paw? <laughs> that would be, honestly, I'm surprised no one has done that yet. It'll happen. Soon. Give it time. Oh, yeah. But, so, um, yeah. Uh, being able to explore an open map as a cat, I think, is one of the greatest advances in modern science. I agree. Yeah, definitely and, the, and, the uh, right, the, the right um, direction to put all of mankind's ingenuity in. Yeah, because you know, why not? What else are you going to do? Like cure oh. shit? We can, we can be a cat. <laughs> so nuclear fusion? Who gives a crap? Meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or fusion to power the servers on which yeah. you are a cat. So, right, exactly. Right. So this is now the game is not a purely open world game. It's a very large explorable world, but there's still like game mechanics that you will have to like, you know, adhere to. Mm -hmm. um, so not truly open world. Um, so it's not a metaverse per se, which is our segue okay. into today's today's topic, topic. right? Yeah. So um, again, not an open, not open universe. Um, you get to roam. There's not that much customization. It's not that much personalization. But people have been, you know, spending hours and hours and hours finding just like the side quests in this game, and. Uh, and uh, uh, you know the, the the side games. Like I don't want to ruin the game for anybody, but um, so it's all about like finding clues. And there's like a robot that hangs out with you as well. Um, yeah, so it's like imagine if like Luke Skywalker was a cat and R two D two was kind of helping oh, him get along because kind of thing. You know, it's a good so, way to put it. Yeah, it, it, it's really good. So 
this again, like, you know, we're bringing up the topic of, of the metaverse again. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a metaverse, there isn't one formal kind of agreed definition, but the definition most people go back to is A, open world, B, highly customizable, C, no fixed game mechanics, right. um, D, ability to create game mechanics on a case-by-case basis um, with like dedicated physics, but no dedicated objective, right? Right. So we've gotten tastes of it at various points in like gaming and computing history. Mm-hmm. You know, there are games that are like on the brink of being a metaverse, but not quite. Then games that are straight up designed to be a metaverse. But then again, you right. st- that's when you stop using the term game. Yeah. Um, think of like, remember when GTA Vice City came out, like the first real 3D open world, and it just blew everyone's mind that this game existed. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's one. Um Think of uh, World of Warcraft, right? Like, obviously, there are game mechanics there, but you can still freely roam the worlds. Yeah, that, that, that was another you thing know? that I was going to mention. Like, I've heard of a lot of... Um, so there's this one game I used to play called Arma, and then I know GTA V. Um, the, the right term for them is basically like role-playing servers, but they're basically like... Yeah. There's no objective really like you you join this like society or community and you be- you decide to become a cop for example um the right. objective is just to be just a normal cop but you still do like the way you behave in the game isn't like wizards or dragons or anything out of the imagination it's like it's just you're you're living a second life in that sort yeah exactly so and but oh there's second life don't forget that one but oh that too um yeah, yeah. So, so in GTA five, you can like basically become a terrorist and then just like turn off the PS five and, and go home. Pretty but, much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this kind of like it, it wet people's appetite. So earlier I was having this discussion, uh, with somebody who's currently at a fund and saying, you know, long-term retention rates, the way you kind of analyze your cohorts is, you know, in, in time period one, it's pretty high. Time period two, substantially lower. Three, substantially lower, but a little less so than two. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you kind of normalize out to a point where you're only losing like 0.1% of your cohort at any one given time, maybe up and down a little bit here and there. Right. That's what it looks like usually across tech, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the standard, lo- it's what you get when you have when you know you have a functional like consumer product or B2B product or whatever it is. In a game... I'm talking about a one-off game. That line always intersects the x-axis at some point. You know? Yeah. Typically, a game is not something that you are invested in for extended periods of time over a very long period of time. So, right. who's still playing Super Mario right now? Not or even like, you know, yeah. the headline Call of Duty games from 5, 6, 7 years ago. Who's still playing them? Like nothing, you know? No, yeah. So, the franchise needs to keep rebooting to keep users engaged right in a metaverse or in a game that leads towards the metaverse it's a little different because it's just a common place where different game mechanics can apply yeah so it doesn't kind of rely right. on the typical like SaaS workflow of just like cons- consistently needing to add new features add new things for there to be continued retention right because what what's keeping you there is the open world and not necessarily what you're being forced to play. Right. Yeah. Right. So if I play like, you know, FIFA, it's I'm stuck in the game mechanics. I can't just roam the stadium and talk to, you know, NPCs and that kind of a thing. Right. I got I have to play the game. 
Yeah. Whereas if I'm on Roblox, I can just mess around as much as I want, meet up with my friends. It's kind of my social network. It's kind of my, you know, some people it's their phone. <laughs> they don't even True. talk to people, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So, so that, that's the metaverse. Now, what was absent in the metaverse up until now? So prior, prior to the current modern, like NFT discussions, when it comes to metaverses, Mm-hmm. Um, we've been able to sort of simulate real world activity, but not perfectly so. So in economics, yeah. what you'll notice is there is no such thing as an experiment, truly. Mm-hmm. You know, because in economics, people act the way they do because they're interacting with actual scarce resources and they bear an actual cost for their decisions, right? right. So an ec- economic experiment where I give everyone hundred thousand dollars in play money doesn't generate the real results. Real results as you know. Not the same as having people actually spend $100,000 of their money, mm-hmm. right? Metaverse, we start to get a taste of that. Uh, I think there's two notable examples where human behavior is truly modeled well with certain metaverse uh, worlds, that minus the whole financial component. And I'll get to why that is in a second. Right. So have you heard of EVE Online? That sounds very familiar, but is it an older thing or is it new? It's not that old. It's like, you know, kind of took off in the last decade. So basically it's this metaverse where you're a spacefaring civilization and you have trade routes and open markets and unregulated finance, even like more sophisticated finance, like, you know, taking positions on certain instruments over time, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and this was used to basically finance a war where various factions were destroying their competition taking their trade routes, taking their assets, that sort of a thing. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Because there was a real functional in-game economy with zero regulation. Right. Now, again, not perfectly perfectly tied to the real world because it's not a perfect analogy because there's no real money at stake, right? Yeah. And then think of World of Warcraft. So did you know that World of Warcraft actually... Fairly accurately modeled a pandemic. World of Warcraft did. Yes. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard. So that. there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a there's basically a level in World of Warcraft where um, basically you face this character who has this ability to get your player to bleed. Okay. Right. And the idea is your your player continues to bleed unless, of course, you defeat that character and then the bleeding stops. Right. Now, this was supposed to be restricted to one particular PvP zone where combat would be allowed. Okay. But what happened was some, you know, bug from Blizzard's side is the bleeding never stopped, even after you left the level. Oh. And if if the bleeding ever touched anybody else, they too would start doing the same thing. So touched as in like if your if your character just briefly like went by or interacted right. with another character. Right, yes. So if okay. you splattered somebody with blood, they immediately started bleeding as well. Wow. And you you can imagine the pandemic-like physics that took part then. Yeah. So what happened was an end-stage pandemic uh-huh. on Blizzard servers in multiple worlds where people kept were bleeding and then heading out to other parts of the open world and infecting people there. And they infected more people and they infected even more people. And what happened was a couple of days in, you had the entire thing just like be full of corpses. Wow. Of course, Blizzard could counteract that because they control the servers and they can just go rewind to a particular time, which is what they did. Yeah. But that event is actually relevant in epidemiology today. Interesting. So okay. that 
and there is actually an ep epidemiologist, I believe at Duke University, who went into epidemiology purely because he was actually a World of Warcraft player when that happened and it just captured his imagination, right? Interesting. So, yeah. So here's the thing. Metaverses can model human behavior, human interactions and, and the rest of it. Right. But we've never had real money changing hands and being relevant outside of the metaverse, right? In other words, we want to get there to be a real economic quote unquote experiment with real cost, real losses, real gains. So by that, do you mean do you mean you want whatever economic system that exists in the, that metaverse to be tied to the real life economy, basically? Yeah. In other words, if you're doing really well in a game, you can actually sell the money or oh, you know, right, go to a foreign right. exchange and get US dollars for your whatever. We, I, I think we've seen like a very, very early iteration of it um, with like 07 scape, like very, very old RuneScape, um, where people used <laughs> to basically, th this wasn't really a, a true like economy economy, but it was basically like bets and wagers for fights. Um, yep. So you, you'd put up like some amount of money um, and then you'd fight. And then if you win, you just take the, how much, however much the, uh, your opponent put up. And mm -hmm. I do remember, you know, having a lot of conversations with friends in high school where, where it was basically like, oh, um, like a thousand coins in game is a dollar in real life. And they've racked up like billions and millions and have actually like created a little weird market of accounts and you can just trade accounts and switch accounts. And, you know, yeah. people set up shop and basically went, oh, uh, if you give me your account that has this much coins, I'll fight and I'll ensure or I'll guarantee that I'll give it back to you if you basically, uh, what was it? It's like, I'll give it back to you with this much coins, but then you have to give me a cut of it or something like that. Um, that was the closest kind of brush that I've had with something in game actually having real life economic ties. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that's, that's one way to think of it. Uh -huh. So here's the thing. Why have these brands not engaged in the metaverse? for all this time like why why has it like gucci and nike and, and the rest of them been like you know knuckles deep in the universe as they as they have sorry knuckles deep in the metaverse as they have been in the last no. couple months because no, part no of intended. their well a, a good chunk of their business plan is built around the concept of artificial scarcity uh-huh right yeah and if i can just copy paste a gucci sweater ten thousand times over in roblox who cares? True. Right. Right. Yeah. So now that we have a certain, you know, uh, uh, uneditable um, kind of unique digital item, thanks to the blockchain, uh -huh. it makes sense for them to begin to interact. And then you can tie the right. metaverse item with a real world item. In other words, if I buy a Gucci sweater at the store, yeah. they can then transfer it to my wallet. And then my player yeah. in the metaverse can wear it. Right. 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 And then you have uh -huh. purely digital items, which is, you know, I'm a flight sim guy and I can buy a 747. And when I'm tired of it, my money isn't just gone. I can sell it secondhand to somebody else. Right. Exactly. You know, so yeah. you start having these like in-game real world economies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a, a tangential discussion would be, are people playing the game only for the money? Because then you have implosions like Axie Infinity and like some of the other right. ones. I think um, are people... Yeah. Yeah. No, not to cut you off, but there was, there was another discussion that was held also of like, um, you know, one of the amazing things that you can do with computers nowadays is copy and pasting and just like rapid duplication with very, <laughs> very minimal energy or resources. Um, yeah. and you know, that of course doesn't work with any economic model we have running on running in real life. So, 
um, mm-hmm. th- there was a couple of people. I think it was um, surprisingly Keanu Reeves, if I remember this correctly, um, who basically was asked about NFTs, and he was like, "It's it's creating an illusion of scarcity." Um, mm-hmm. which is why he doesn't want to get into it and all that type of stuff. And that kind of spurred a lot of conversations on my timeline about, you know, um, if you buy a Gucci sweater in real life, that's awesome because, you know, not a lot of people can afford it. And that's the one thing you have. But is that something that people want to take into a metaverse where you can literally go, everyone gets this one thing? Well, consider this. Say you're playing a game, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a Web2 game, open world where there are certain playable characters that are very rare. So it's a status symbol to own one. Right. And if you want one, you either have to play a billion hours to get enough credits to buy it or buy it cash outright, you know? Right. Yeah. Now in the cash outright example, that money goes directly to the actual developers, whoever's running the servers. Mm-hmm. And you don't actually own the item despite having parted with a good chunk of your own money. Yeah. Right? True. But suppose you own it, and then you could move it to an off-game marketplace and rent it out to people and earn some money on it or mm-hmm. sell it, uh, depending on your know, market demand and what happens there. Right. So, you know, it, it does introduce elements of scarcity to the, to the digital world, right? Mm-hmm. And you can have what's called a fidgetal asset, a physical and digital asset, where it's a bit of both. Interesting. Okay. In which case, the, the, digi- the, the physical aspect is a little more easy to... It's a little easier to verify it as genuine if you have the NFT with it and you can check which wallets it's been transferred to and therefore physical ownership as well. Yeah. Right? Like if I got it directly from Gucci's known wallet, then you know it's mine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, think, I think before before we continue this, I the, the one thing that I think we need to the major like assumption that we need to make or the the kind of foundation that we need to clarify is you know when people say that okay you buy a sweater in real life and there's an nft that's tied to that sweater and that's yours um what does that actually mean cuz cuz most of the discussions i've had with nfts is like oh monkey jpegs you own a monkey jpeg someone copied and pasted mm-hmm. it don't get salty like that type of discussion so yeah. like what does what like monkey JPEGs and physical items aside, like what is an NFT itself? Okay. Just one point to your monkey JPEG thing. You can copy uh-huh. paste my image of it. If if that monkey JPEG was a playable character in an open world, you can't copy paste that. Interesting. Okay. Right. So yeah. an NFT is a non-fungible token, right? Mm-hmm. So let's rewind a bit and ask, well, what is a fungible token? So yeah. the dollar bill in your pocket doesn't buy any more or less items in the real world than the dollar bill in my pocket or the dollar bill in anybody else's pocket. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a fungible fungible dollar bill. Okay. Right. Now let's talk about exceptions to fungibility as opposed to outright non-fungibility. Suppose those dollar bills are stolen and a number of bills marked sequentially are now blacklisted. So it becomes difficult to deposit them in a bank. So now technically you've broken the fungibility of the dollar bill because it's a part, it has a serial number that is tied to theft, right? Right. Yeah. If you steal Bitcoin from an exchange because Mm -hmm. you broke their security and you transfer that Bitcoin to an external wallet, that wallet has the same problem as the dollar bill. That wallet number is now poison because people know it's tied to theft, which means they can screen for it when you're trying to transact online. 
Right. Right. So if there's like a central repository of known addresses that are problematic, mm-hmm. it's a little difficult to spend the Bitcoin. Okay. You know? Yeah. So those are exceptions to fungibility. What is outright non-fungibility? Outright non-fungibility would be, remember CryptoKitties, which was really maybe the first example of this? Yeah. Yeah. It it popped up on Twitter a couple of times. So if you're 700 years old, like me in tech years, (laughs) you, you may remember the 1990s when you kind of woke up in the middle of the night to feed your Tamagotchi. Oh yeah. 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 And your Tamagotchi was non-fungible because you had that particular Tamagotchi and it was in your physical pocket. Mm-hmm. CryptoKitties is really the digital equivalent where the non-fungibility of that CryptoKitty is, you know, its signature on the blockchain. Right. It's index on the blockchain, right? Yeah. So CryptoKitties, you know, each one is unique in its own way, similar to some of these profile picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be bred to create a new one. And the new one in and of itself is also unique. Yeah. So that is a non-fungible token. It is any item, whether it's a profile picture or a, a you know a, a player in a game, mm-hmm. or a, a digital item that a player can wear, um, or even you know a contract. Um, it could represent you know a, an individual stock or a bond or some other uh, security. Um, that is identifiable with a particular number, uh, right. similar to like the numbers issued on each bond, like each individual traded bond has its own number registered mm-hmm. with the treasury. Um, all of those items can be represented in cyberspace as non-fungible tokens. Okay. Got it? Yeah. So it's those items that are going to be relevant on uh, in a metaverse. Uh-huh. And now that that is no longer a weird futuristic concept, thanks to everyone's uh, you know infatuation with using NFTs as profile pictures, mm-hmm. you have these digital items that can't be copy pasted, right? You can copy paste my profile picture, sure, but if we're in an open metaverse where I have an F twenty two Raptor that I used to fly around the place, mm-hmm. you can't copy paste that. You're going to have to acquire it or buy it from me or something, right? Meaning now we have in game economies. Right, exactly. Or it's and, not an experiment and, because there's scarcity, right? Yeah, and, and a real-life equivalent of that would be, um, like, I can have the Mona Lisa hanging behind me, but you know sure as shit that that's not a, the Mona Lisa. It's just a a forgery or yep. something like that where, you know, the, the art equivalent of copying and pasting art, but we all know where the real one is. Right, except in the digital world, it's a little more, it's a little easier knowing that it's real, right? Mm-hmm. So if Monet was known, was alive today and known to have a particular ETH address, and he minted some of his purely digital work on that address, and then you send me something that looks like a Monet, I can tell whether it's a Monet or not because I can tie it to his original address. I can look on the blockchain and see how this NFT has actually changed hands and how at one point it was minted by Monet with his known address. Interesting. And it's like, oh, it's real. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. So- yeah. You know, I, I think the metaverse is some of the discussions feel super early. Right. Interesting. How so? Well, how many people are actually using cent- you know, sandbox or decentraland or some of these like ETH based metaverses? True. You don't you don't hear much of that. And like what was actually kind of surprising is, you know, 
I think it's safe to say or to assume that we're kind of heading into a crypto winter right now. And one of the first things to fall in terms of hype was NFTs and any aspect or idea of a metaverse. So I haven't heard much of those. You right still now. have you still have substantial volume being traded, and a right. lot of securitization going on. So it's definitely not dead. I mean, it's come down a bit, but it's not like it's down ninety percent. It's not. That's not. Uh-huh. It. So on the crypto native metaverses like Sandbox, and and uh, Decentraland and some of the other guys, and what I've noticed is it's kind of not super active. Okay. So. You know, I think at most, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I may be overly generous here, but like, you know, weekly mm-hmm. active users aren't north of like 50,000. Okay. So that's really nothing. Right. You know, makes sense. But I'm going to give you a couple of numbers that are going to blow your mind in terms of potential and how far things have come along. Sure. How big do you think the wearable NFTs market is in 2022? Wearable NFTs. Yeah. Dollar figure. How big do you think it is? Like if we annualize the first six months. Interesting. Uh, I want to say like 100 mil, maybe roughly. About a, about a billion. Wow. And that's a only a billion dollars. Piece. Right. How much money do you think is made by selling custom skins in like metaverse games like Fortnite? Interesting. So, so I know that that's a big market in CSGO because I was a part of it growing up in high school, like in, in high school. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Fortnite's definitely a bigger game. So across to... across all of these metaverse games where skins can be sold, yeah. What how much how much do you think they're doing in sales in a year? I want to say like maybe 500, 600 mil. The number blew my mind, and I checked it twice before before we came on here. Okay. It's forty billion dollars. Forty billion. It's forty billion dollars. That's across like a small country's games. economy, basically. The video game uh, economy, by the way, is larger than professional sports, music, live concerts, and movies combined. Wow. That's that's hard to wrap my head around. That's pretty crazy. What percentage of Apple's App Store uh, revenue comes from uh, gaming-related purchases? Oh, App Store. I remember we had an, an episode where we talked about how big of a monopoly the App Store is. Like, I want to... Yeah. I'd round it up to like five bill, maybe five billion. But what, what percentage of the app store's revenue comes from things like microtransactions and personalization and stuff in games? Oh, uh, let's like throw a number out there and say like 50. 50%? Yeah. It's around 67%. It's about two thirds. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Two thirds. Interesting. Right. So remember how I said Decentraland and Sandbox barely have people playing them? Yeah. Okay, now how many people do you think are in VR-based gaming and only Oculus? VR-based gaming only Oculus. Well, Oculus is a leader, of course. So I want to say like, it is. So this is the one thing that's interesting about Oculus because it, it's, it's from what I've seen through ads, it's making its way outside of gaming too. Because a lot right. of the ads that you see on Oculus nowadays are about working out or about like learning about yes. something, doing that type of stuff. So all of these in, in the metaverse, yeah. Yeah, so I want to say like not a billion, not 500 million, like 100 mil would be my best guess. There's about 11 million people on Oculus. 11 mil. That's not bad at all yeah. too. And, and and there's and there's and it's growing very fast and there's a right. lot more on other non-Oculus systems including HTC Vive and Steam and the rest of them. Right. 
I'm talking about just Oculus, the base entry level, right? Interesting. <clears throat> All right. And this one's going to blow your mind. So uh, again, Sandbox Decentraland, hardly used. Uh-huh. Have you heard of Zepetto? On my timeline, but I haven't looked into it too much, no. So Zepetto is a very kind of East Asia focused, um, uh, East Asia focused metaverse, right? Okay. So Zepetto has approximate. Actually, you know what? Throw me. I like this number thing. Throw me a number. Okay. How many people Throw are using Zepetto? Zepetto. Not, well, not monthly East... active. I'm talking about registered users in the Zepetto metaverse. Okay. So Zepetto, if if it serves East Asia, East Asia is very very big market. Um, so like five million. It's about a. It's around um, like a quarter of the population of China. It's three hundred million. It's two hundred ninety million users. Jesus Christ! And how many of them do you think are monthly active? Well, three hundred mil. I think ideally, maybe is like half half of them. So maybe one hundred fifty, two hundred. Um, it's it's more around twenty million. They're monthly active in the metaverse. Wow! Right. Okay. So MAU is the core metric for people like Facebook. So they're competing with social networks and they're killing social networks. Right. And then another one. So, so you know, Asian emerging emerging markets are very, very into this. And mm-hmm. who do you think the the user base is? Like, who do you think about 50%? Um, 50 to, actually, approximately, I think 60. I'm not 100% sure of this number, but I think it's around 60% of the user base okay. is young. I think that was given, right? Okay. Yeah. But also female. Interesting. So are they like think specific it's a sausage services? Fest. Yeah, right? I would I would think so too because it's just because of like the culture around that type of stuff here. Right. But um and interesting, yeah. So there's there's broad relevance in that market in personalized virtual spaces and uh personalized branding. Right? Branding. Okay. So all of these brands suddenly want to get in on the metaverse because that's where everyone is. True. Right. And it's just beginning. And these are the numbers they're putting up. Yeah. Like imagine trying to launch any app where one quarter of China is signed on. That, that just like from the engineering perspective, that makes me nervous as hell, but I see yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is, this is the metaverse and the metaverse is going to get way, way more offensive. Uh, no, sorry. No, <laughs> the metaverse is going to get way more immersive yeah. um, w- with virtual reality. So I spend right. a lot of time, you know, in virtual reality, flying my jet fighter and bombing things. Right. Oh yeah. So I've gotten to the point where like, if I'm casually going out with, you know, uh, a friend who happens to own a Cessna and then like he has a heart attack, uh-huh. I'm, I'm fairly okay. Landing it. This is okay. how delusional I've gotten. Thanks to meta- <laughs> metaverse immersion. Okay. Right. Like I, pu- I have put hours in that thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now, now, you know, this is, now that brands are interested, they're looking at catalogs of items because you know in e-commerce, when metaverse meets e-commerce, anything and everything mm-hmm. you do in e-commerce is ba- built around the catalog, right? Yeah. How many items do you have? Um, how many varieties of it? And how much information do you have on it? What are your photos like? How immersive is it? That kind of thing. Right. So no catalog, no e-commerce. Exactly. Like imagine what would happen to Amazon sales if like it no longer had pictures. Oh, that would, those would tank because i think pictures yeah. pictures See? are definitely a very very big part of it but even the right. the one thing that i'd add as well is is the um how um the, the basically the depth or the ingenuity behind designing the catalog like i feel like there's there should yeah. be basically like a, a field of research into designing catalogs because what's very interesting on, on platforms like amazon's like 
uh, if I look up screwdrivers, there are specific search filters that pop up about what type of screw you want and like how many inches and all that type of stuff. So yeah. it's pretty, uh, it's pretty impressive. Like catalog yeah. building is a core of e-commerce for sure. Yeah. When I ask my friends for a screwdriver here, they just give me an orange juice that tastes funny. So clearly they're not very <laughs> familiar with, with catalogs. No, not at all. Like the yeah. e-commerce hasn't reached quite as much as other things have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wink, wink. Anyways, so there's there's <laughs> nothing more personal. There's nothing more personal yeah. than a user's own face and body when they're trying on digital wardrobes in the metaverse, right? right? But that's still not absolutely, totally photorealistic lifelike just yet, especially not with uh -huh. standalone headsets, right? Like right. you need a really good graphics card to physically build you and make it wear clothes, right? Okay, yeah. But, you know, as far as the metaverse goes, you know augmented reality is a bit of a stepping stone for a lot of people, especially when it comes to physical and digital items, True. when you can buy a physical item and also have the digital item that your person can wear. Yeah. And there is a company that's actually made massive, massive strides in getting people to adopt augmented reality. And most people don't even realize it's augmented reality. You know what company that is, right? Augmented reality. I haven't heard of big strides in that area in some time, actually. So no. There, there is one large publicly traded brand that has a lot of people hooked on AR. And again, they say, don't even think about it as AR. Interesting. So when you say AR, do you mean like the filters count? Like face filters and that type of stuff? Warmer. Warmer. It's like Instagram, Snapchat, the two that come Snapchat. to mind. Snapchat. Interesting. Okay. Right. So how many, how many users do you have on Snapchat? It's around 300 million, right? Tons. Yeah. And the ones who use it are using AR basically daily. You know how True. many times per day? Quite. Like I'm trying to remember like my friends. They, yeah, they send quite a couple of snaps and I'm sure like 70% of them have filters on. So quite a bit. Yeah. Right. I'm just making you look bad by not being able to guess very, very specific numbers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's around 6 billion times a day. Jesus. So every time everyone uses some dumb, stupid little fucking filter. Right. Yeah. I mean, crying face has been used 1.3 billion times a day. Just, oh my God. Sorry, not well, actually, no, that specific filter has been used 1.3 billion times. Can you yeah. imagine? Now, imagine the data that creates for Snapchat and how well they can train their algorithms, like, you know, what they call their, their meshes, basically, this oh, wireframe yeah. of your body that they can fit the clothes over. Exactly. Right? So these lenses are used to create, create 3D images of your face and your body. And these mm -hmm. meshes become so precise that they can accurately map all kinds of clothing with all kinds of textures and accommodate any kind of body type doing all kinds of different poses. Interesting. Right? Okay. And now you can go on Snapchat and you can try things on, right? True. Things from actual brands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you oh, can actually, stand in front remember, of your um, bathroom mirror and, and try on your um, bikini print uh <laughs> My, my sorry, Borat. Leopard, leopard print bikini. Yeah. My Your Borat bikini. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, no, there, there, there's another one. I think um, Cartier actually got, got into this game of if you show your wrist, you can try on some of their watches. Yep. Which is actually pretty impressive. Like, yeah, like out of all places, like I understand the whole mesh building on face filters, but detecting a wrist is actually pretty impressive. Yeah. And and now if there's an app called Wanna Kicks, where oh, um, I've, I've tried that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can you can try shoes on and buy right. them that way. Exactly. You know? 
So this has solved the, the issue back in the 90s and said, nobody's going to buy stuff online. You can't try it on. Well, now you can try it on, right? Now you can try it on, and, yeah. and, and the meshes will make the fit pretty realistic. Exactly. So in the past 12 months, like Snapchat, you know, their 300 million users have tried on digital items, everything from like sunglasses to dresses around 5 billion times. So it's wow. changing consumer behavior, <clears throat> consumer behavior, right? Yeah. And some of the core issues in e-commerce right now are like cart abandonment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, well, that would be the issue. And most of the, most of the time people abandon carts because they're afraid like returns would be a hassle or they're right. not totally sure how something's going to look or fit or the rest of it. Right. Yeah. One thing, well, it's actually surprising seeing that because I, to, to put the founder hat on a little bit, I was, I was doing a deep dive into like metrics and that type of stuff. And uh, for e-commerce applications, one popular metric is just how much value has been left in an abandoned cart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yeah. It is a ton. <laughs> I think it's around seventy uh, percent the number of e-commerce carts that wind up abandoned. Right, right. So now going back to Snapchat and how they've gotten everybody hooked on augmented reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So suppose I try on uh, some aviator shades okay. on an AR app and I buy them. Right now I'm going to get the phys- physical item in the mail, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to receive the NFT for the digital item, which means a. Ray-Ban can now increase in some, so they can engage in some uh, much better, you know, enhanced uh, consumer outreach. Mm-hmm. And they've built a community because now I have a Ray-Ban NFT, right? right? Yeah. Also, my metaverse character can now throw on their aviator shades when I'm flying around in my F-22. True. So this is this kind of blending of physical and digital worlds. Mm-hmm. And younger generations have already made it abundantly clear to that, you know, they, they, they want to engage in the metaverse much more than generations prior. Now that the metaverse is not some stupid pixelated dump, but rather this very realistic. Now I do have a question about that. That's actually very interesting. So, yeah, you know, say for example, you know, I'm walking around with my brand new Ray-Ban sunglasses and then, um, you know, walking down the street, someone steals them, takes them. I can go to the police and give a description of them, but anyone can kind of go, oh, no, those are mine. I bought these or no, I, I got this at, the, at a thrift store or something. So yeah. when you're working in a universe that basically verifies that everything you have is yours and there's transactions proving so, um, yeah. does that mean that like theft in the metaverse is, is kind of impossible? Well, theft in the metaverse would require me signing over, you know, a, a digital transaction giving you the item, right? Right. So, kind of difficult. And in the real world, I can go to the cops and say, "Yo, this schmuck stole my shades," and I can prove it. He doesn't have the NFT. I do, and I can prove I received it from Ray Ban. That too, yeah, because that would be hard right. to forge, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the fuzz, law enforcement, yeah. right? Right. So we're talking about all kinds of different applications for NFTs that are that are relevant in e-commerce and the metaverse and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. So, and we've already said that's relevant because people are paying forty billion dollars a year for digital items, anyways, right? And without actually owning them, right? Yeah, like there is a market for it for sure. Yeah. So, what else can you do with NFTs that aren't just that? So the way I see it is NFTs are going to replace paper. And by paper, I mean offline agreements. Okay. I think 
eventually all kinds of intellectual property will be secured by NFTs that get minted by whoever produced them, right? So if I have a record label and I sign some, you know, a new artist, this right. artist produces music, the music can be secured with NFTs. Yeah. Right? The actual track and the rights and the rest of it. So I have an undisputable right. record that it is mine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you can create copies of NFTs and number them individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know exactly who played which one because there would be digital signatures on each one. Right. Right? And yeah. think of the contract that I had with the artists prior to them recording uh, their album. Okay. That contract can also be on the blockchain. The text True. of the contract is secured on the blockchain and it is signed instead of you know squiggles and ink, which anyone can fake. They can sign it with their actual wallet. That's unique to them. True. Right? Yeah. Now, suppose there's a dispute and we want the contract amended. Okay. How do we then go and change it? Well, you can have a multi-sig contract where the third signatory would basically be a local court. And in order for anything to be changed, all three need to digitally sign as well. Yeah. So if an off, offline activity, such as a, mm-hmm. a legal challenge in a court, produces right. a court order that uh, uh, you know a, a contract will be trashed or amended or re-signed or whatever it may be, uh-huh. then the court may be in possession of a wallet of their own that allows them to be the final signatory on these kinds of things. Right. So it's kind of like, and there's no paper. Yeah. Like if it is a transaction, it kind of, it serves as like escrow, if that makes any sense. Kind of, that's how I'm able to make sense of it at least. Well, escrow requires the trust of a third party, you know, yeah. we're talking about dispute resolution where we just need a person to vote. Right. Oh, right. right and right. in terms of escrow, again, for, for the artist to be paid, there could be an escrow contract on the blockchain mm-hmm. um, that stipulates that, Hey, you know, you'll get paid as soon as we get X number of listens on this record and this record right. is secured by an NFT. And now we know exactly how many listens we, we, we got because it's the number of people who've actually, you know, um, um, activated whatever part of the contract that allows you to play the song. Right. So there's real world monitoring of these kinds of things and real world enforcement of contracts. And eventually so the record label itself can, you know, instead of it doing a Delaware C Corp can be a DAO. True. Yeah, that, that, that's one thing I I realized is like um, when the when the NFT craze first started popping up, it was the music industry and a lot of startups that came up as well were just very very fixated on the music industry just because you know whether it's like Scooter Braun and Taylor Swift or any other issue with like management basically screwing up screwing artists over, um, mm-hmm. it was always something that NFTs could have solved or, or having like a direct transaction or proof of that transaction solved. Yeah. You yeah. know, like the whole uh Kesha and Doctor, whatever his face was. That oh, that saga too. Yeah. Would have been solved a little simple, a little easier. So yeah, I mean, you you're thinking anything that exists in the real world is like a one of one or a one of a limited series object. Mm-hmm. Literally everything from a sweater to a contract to a legal agreement to a a, a business entity to a linked LP to whatever it may be. You know, we can just completely forget the paperwork and move this entirely digitally. digitally. Now, aside from getting rid of the paperwork, one thing that it gets people to do is agree to a universal format of an agreement, right? Okay. So imagine I want to buy a house in California. Mm-hmm. That process is extremely different from the purchase of a house in, say, Spain. Right. Right? Yeah. Suppose I want to buy a micro fragment of a house in California. 
Suppose okay. I want to spread my assets by by paying for half, say fifty thousand dollars worth of an apartment building in California and fifty fifty thousand dollars worth of an apartment building in New York City. Okay. Today, there is no real way to do that without going through all kinds of paperwork, the cost of which will exceed my investment. True. Right? Yeah. But if every one of those buildings was a DAO or mm. was an asset that was secured, you know, IP wise, ownership wise, was a, an NFT right. that was recognized by the city as proof of ownership, recognized by all governments as proof of ownership, that then can be used to issue synthetic tokens against. So True. that. 100 unit apartment building in Brooklyn, you know, that uh, the NFT that proves its ownership is secured on a protocol that then issues a million synthetic tokens against it. Yeah. And the ownership is fractionalized. And I could buy as little as a couple bucks worth. True. So, so we create that, that all means of these that assets. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Like a democrat, it basically like democratizes or just makes available or accessible investments in things like real estate and like that type of stuff well you, it's hyper fractionalized hyper secure ownership with extremely low transaction costs even for the most illiquid assets right right yeah and on top of that it's sort of a unified legal agreement that everyone agrees to no matter where you are in the world uh-huh exactly so the transfer of a hundred thousand dollars worth of so-and-so building in new york city from uh -huh me in Kuwait to you in Los Angeles yeah. is just a smart contracts execution where you send me US dollar coin and I send you the tokens for the ownership and that's it. We're done. As opposed to all the paperwork and the pain that needs to happen today. As opposed to needing lawyers and weeks and months to do it. Right. Yeah. So it makes it seamless, like seemingly seamless. Yeah. And trustless because it's happening on blockchain. The blockchain contract is going to execute the transfer. You can't, you can't take the shares and run away. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Because I, th I definitely see that. To escrow accounts that release them once we've both paid. Yeah. So I definitely see like the benefit of that in, in real estate, the benefit of that in like pretty much anything, like music, um, entertainment, generally speaking. Like if you want to buy tickets to something, um, you want to make sure the tickets are not forged, that type of stuff, you know, have having the any ownership the, of anything. Yeah. But there is there is a very interesting thing that brings it up because, you know, obviously. I work in GovTech and, you know, putting GovTech's prejudice against any Web3 technology aside, there's a lot of instances where, you know, the I think the easiest thing to point out is voting, where there's a lot of speculation about forged votes, fake votes, votes coming from dead people, um, that type yeah. of stuff that can honestly be fixed if you, you know, say, for example, that the city government has... Um, you know, a contract or a, a ballot and there's a valid verifiable transaction um, of that ballot from one wallet to another. And then that transaction returns with a stance on it or with some, some vote taken on it. Um, if you have that, that would be very hard to forge as well. Yeah. So, you know, if the city issues you a specific um, NFT, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And you vote by sending that NFT to one of two addresses for each candidate or whatever. Right. You know, like if you want to send it to Trump.eth or Obama.eth. Yeah, exactly. And you end up with a final tally instead of waiting God knows how long for the Supreme Court to rule and overturn everything. True. So, you know, it, it's just 
we do away with the issue of trust in middlemen, which is, I think, something that can be applied very, very broadly to all kinds of things. Yeah, I see that. Because, I mean, I think I think a lot of the issues where deals have fallen through have been because of middlemen. Um, the biggest example of which, uh, it's actually pretty funny. So I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying everything is alleged because there is a lawsuit that came out because of it. But, um, this kind of falls into the bucket or container of entertainment where, uh, Freddie Freeman. So Freddie Freeman, basically for anyone who doesn't know, uh, was a player on the Atlanta Braves, uh, baseball player at the Atlanta Braves, um, spent th- the first 13 years of his career there. And then on the 13th year, he won the world series. And I think he was the MVP as well. Um, so very, very big player, massive reputation, uh, Atlanta Braves, um, household name. And when his contract was up, there was a lot of speculation about where he was going to go. And to the fans, from the fans perspective, it kind of seemed like the Braves moved on because they immediately just signed someone else who played in Freddie's position. And Freddie was like basically heartbroken, shocked, and then ended up taking a deal with the Dodgers. Um, yeah. So when the Dodgers visited Atlanta this season, uh, I think a month ago or like a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, it came out that allegedly, of course, nothing, none of this is true. Um, yeah. But um, uh, what's it called? So the Atlanta Braves actually extended an offer to Freddie, but his agent um, basically didn't tell Freddie about that deal. So Freddie never knew that Atlanta wanted him. And like, I think what would have happened is either that deal was ignored or it was rejected by the agent on behalf of Eddie, uh, of Freddie. And uh, yeah. So when he heard out, heard about that, like all sorts of legal stuff came up, but that's another instance where like middlemen, you know, as much of a reputation as you can build with them sometimes do screw things over for you. You know, first of all, I don't know how the hell that was legal or if it was legal, because even in in real estate, for example, if your realtor gets an offer for a property that you've listed with them, legally, they have to tell you what the offer is, no matter how crap or great it is. They have to share the offer legally. Yeah. Um, So how the hell his agent got away with that crap? I have no idea. And I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. All I I know is um, Freddie basically reached out to the media and said he's self-represented now and he's trying to figure out stuff with his agency. So. Not not sure what the, yeah. the outcome of that's going to be, but in terms of baseball drama, like this is definitely the biggest yeah. story. You know, to your point, I think a judge very recently somewhere um, actually ruled that airdropping somebody a court summons counts as notification. So you can serve them by airdropping oh. an NFT that says the court says you have to show up. Interesting. Seriously. Right. Yeah, so like all kinds of like inciting tra- insider traders from Coinbase now about to get NFTs. <laughs> it's say, hey, check True. the district or wherever says you're fucked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh man, can you imagine? Then any anything is going to airdrop everything. True. I mean, airdrop. My my birthday party invites are going to be airdropped to everybody. Yeah, basically birthday parties or like even if it's if it's like a invite only event where you need to RSVP just airdrop to everyone around you. Um, well, that's honestly, being done already. Yeah, exactly. But, but another big thing as well, um, listening parties. So I know yeah. a lot of celebrities hold those. So like, imagine if you go to one like area that's unknown, uh, and then you just airdrop everyone, the album that everyone's going to be listening to. Well, I mean, you would need their addresses. Oh, that too. Yeah. As opposed to the Apple product definition of airdrop, but 
Um, True. Yeah, but you know, most people. I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of people who are in the space have mm-hmm. a number of addresses, right? So I have my, you know, a z i z h a y a t dot eth, which a lot of people have used to airdrop me random shit. And again, this is this is public stuff, so you can go look at it. Like you can just go put my actual ETH address in any uh, uh, chain explorer, like blockchain, and see everything I own. Oh, but that's my public address. I have I have a private address, the address of which I don't share, which I keep a lot of other stuff in. Um, you know, yeah. so yeah, I think that's the way most people are doing it. Because again, this is this is your bank account, but I can Google your tra- your balance. You know, yeah. Which is interesting because I mean I think yeah transparency and that's that's all great and stuff but then that does have its boundaries but I mean that's where private private addresses kind of come in yeah I mean I think because um, yeah. I, I think what's interesting and in just putting on like the Silicon Valley hat is imagine okay like you get a kid and then you need to give give your kid a citizenship and then like a, a social security number and then a wallet like a private address mm-hmm. basically yeah. That would be that would be pretty crazy if it actually happened. Or imagine passports start like digital passports start getting issued as NFTs. Where they know that it's too. not fake because the only way to, to know that it was a fake is if they look at the transaction like history and yeah. see that it did not come from so-and-so wallet <laughs> associated with the United States Department of State, right? Exactly. So if the Department of State has a known wallet from which addresses are issued or passports are issued they can send you your nft passport right and then no matter what anyone tries how are they going to fake it the only way to fake it would be to break into the the state department and like issue fake passports exactly so which is super super difficult to do right so yeah that's your passport nft your credit card nft your driver's license nft yeah i think the one thing the one thing that definitely needs to end up happening to NFTs is the same thing that happened to nuclear fusion, which was basically like it's gonna ha- it's gonna have to go through or like some sort of rebranding, because you know when you hear NFTs or when you go to a networking event and you mention NFTs, like you see people's eyes kind of glaze over and it's like oh boy, yeah, like we're we're gonna talk about bored apes, we're gonna talk about you know those images, those JPEGs, whatever they may be. But if if you rephrase or rebrand NFTs to lord knows whatever it may be and then just resell the technology as this isn't something for some like random tech tech bros or crypto dudes or whatever the hell if this yeah. is like a general like lifestyle thing that you can sell um i think it, it would get it would get pretty far is, is what i'd say like I, I have spoken to a founder before um who was basically you know in the web3 space building something where um artists can have their own equivalent of a Shopify where they could sell um, mm-hmm. their own NFTs and kind of send them to people's wallets as they're being purchased and that type of stuff. Um, and the one thing he said that is, you know, potentially going to give him a advantage is he's not selling the blockchain, the blockchain or any of the Web3 technologies. Like he is using that, but that's working in the background. What he's selling is the benefits of it repackaged for the everyday person to understand. Here's the thing. Netflix would be impossible without AWS. Right. Yeah. Right. But nobody, nobody's like Netflix does not advertise itself as being on AWS because people don't give a shit. They just want it to work. True. Right. 
at some point that's going to happen in web three. When we stop selling something as a web three item, it's just digital. And by the way, there's web three in the background powering this. True. And that's when everyone will have it in the same way that Snapchat got everyone to use lenses and uh -huh. AR without ever calling it AR. Right. Right. Just, yeah. Which is branded as lenses. Exactly. They just called it like sooner lenses. or later, like, you know, you're going to find ads at your local like post office saying like, get your BC passport right now. What does BC mean? Blockchain, right? Yeah, exactly. I think like eventually like that's once that happens. And then once the, the management of wallets and the creation of wallets becomes a little bit easier, more streamlined, that would be, those would be the two key factors for like mass adoption, not only in specific metaverses or, or in, any sort of web three specific application, but just general life driver's license, passports, credit cards, like basically what you mentioned. Right. When it becomes as spectacular and amazing as a database, right? Yeah, exactly. Just a thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a very nice future to be a part of, honestly. Like if, if anything you have, you have proof that is yours, you know, theft wouldn't be that bad. Like if you're, if your social security numbers an NFT and then someone tries to, use that to put up your house for sale or do whatever in your name. And it's like, well, that came from a wallet that's different than the one that that SSN was issued to. So, and also they can't sign the transaction, right? Cause they can steal my social security too. number and, but they can't steal my, my uh, private key, meaning yeah. they can't sign the transaction to actually do the transfer. Exactly. I'm right? sure like, this is just a hunch of mine, but I'm sure like somewhere in DARPA, there is research being done on this because there's no way like, this tech is being overseen. Oh, I, I mean, I would, I would pay a lot of money just to get like a one hour tour of DARPA to see what the hell they're doing. Oh yeah. It's but, like Iron uh, Man. If anyone, if anyone from DARPA is listening, because like, I mean, <laughs> we have, we have our analytics and we do know that a lot of people in Virginia, <laughs> True. listen, yeah. Virginia, DC. So yeah. If anyone from DARPA is listening, actually check the metrics. There's doesn't say Langley or, just no Alexandria and some of the places, but Roanoke. I mean, we do have I think. Vermont. That, that is pretty remote, so maybe. Yeah, one guy listening in Vermont. Uh, hi, Lincoln. I know who he is. So <laughs> appreciate you listening. Yeah. So if anyone from DARPA is listening, please like send me an email. Yeah. I I really really want to tour. <laughs> we'll do a tour. We'll promise not to tell anyone. <laughs> We're gonna walk out of there like it's like Chuck E. Cheese. Like cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, no, what was it? There was one guy who was actually given a tour and he was basically like, what did he say? He's like, this is, this is Iron Man level stuff that's being worked on in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Good times. The thing is like, they probably think, cause they're around it all day, every day. It's probably not even that cool to them. Oh, true. You know what I mean? But it's like, oh, the alien is complaining again. Shut it up. <laughs> so why is it talking about like, villages and shit just shut up whatever it's like man we should have killed him at roswell <laughs> true <laughs> should have stomped him out when he was on the ground roswell. <laughs> right <laughs> i have to deal with this fucking margin babble <laughs> anyways anyways what's uh what's the rest of your go. day look like <laughs> um i just want to walk a little honestly i feel I might, I might do the same, go for a quick walk and then get back and put out countless, countless numbers. You put of out? Hours, so. Put out what? You're going to put out? 
put out fires. You said put out. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means it means give someone your put put. <laughs> well, no, definitely, definitely not that. Not for free. <laughs> you owe me money. Awesome. All right. Or equity or NFTs. I'll take anything. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Okay. You can do me for ETH. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you said, you write, you write your wallet address on a notepad. There's like tears on it. It's like, oh, fine. <laughs> or better yet, you have like a QR code tramp stamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm getting a QR code tramp stamp. All right. We should. Later, right. pooches. See ya.